when you know what their last words were. There are indeed some famous last words in history. Uh, Frank Sinatra died after saying the words, I'm losing it. Here was a man who had it all, but he realized that he was losing it. Nostradamus predicted, tomorrow at sunrise, I shall no longer be here. And he was right, because he died in the night. Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma City bomber, died of a lethal injection. And right before he was given that injection, he handed the warden a poem that ended with the words, I am the master of my fate, the captain of my soul. And you can learn a lot about someone with their last words. Football coach Vince Lombardi of the Green Bay Packers died of cancer in 1970. And as he died, Lombardi turned to his wife Marie and said, Happy anniversary. I love you. Those were his last words. Actor Michael Landon, best known for Little House on the Prairie, died of cancer in 1991. His family gathered around his bed and his son said it was time to move on. And here's what Michael Landon said, you're right, it's time, I love you all. John Wayne died at the age of 72 in Los Angeles. He turned to his wife and said, of course I know who you are, you're my girl, I love you. You can learn a lot about a life from their last words. The 17th century Scottish theologian Samuel Rutherford gave this triumphant testimony before he stepped into eternity. He said, mine eye shall see my Redeemer. He has pardoned, loved, and washed me and given me joy unspeakable and full of glory. Glory shines in Emmanuel's land. Those were his last words. You can tell a lot about someone from their last words. And then John Wesley preached his last sermon on February 17th, 19, or 1791 in Lambeth on the text, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near, from Isaiah 55. Well, the following day, as a very sick man, he was put to bed in his home on City Road. During the days of his illness, he often repeated the words from one of his brother's hymns. I, the chief of sinners, am, but Jesus died for me. But his last words were, the best of all is, God is with us. He died on March 2nd, 1791. Yeah, we can learn a lot about someone's life from their last words. But can we learn a lot about someone's life when we know what their first words were? Probably not so much. As I was thinking back to our children's first words, uh, probably they were... My wife thinks that they were mommy. I think that they were daddy, okay? They were, that's probably what their first words were, Okay? Uh, Seth, one of his first words was hockey. Uh, I did teach him the truth about that important word, hockey. Uh, probably not. We, you know, our, our first words are, are mama, dada, or probably no-no, because we hear it so often from our parents when we're, when we're that young. Now, while we don't know what the first words were that came out of the mouth of Jesus, we do know the first recorded words of Jesus Christ, in his earthly life, and they're found here in Luke 2 and verse 49. The very first words that Jesus ever spoke here on this earth are found right here in this passage. When he said this, How is it that ye sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about 
my father's business. Uh, These words were significant and and teach us a lot about Jesus. Uh, What can we learn about Jesus from his very first recorded words? And the first time he ever used the words must or I must. Well, first of all, this morning, uh, if you would like to take notes, I think we'll have a little points on the screen here. But uh, first of all, we can learn about his person. We can learn about who he is. Uh, Verse number uh, 41, let's pick it up there in this passage. It says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. So they were living in Nazareth, and they went up to Jerusalem every year to go and uh, participate in the uh, feast of the Passover. And it was something they did every year. It was kind of like an annual trip that they did as a family. And uh, they were doing this uh, to honor the Lord. Well, verse 42, when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. So he was 12 years old. It was time to go to Jerusalem again for the feast of the Passover, that, that annual feast. Well, verse 43, when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. So they were there for a few days for the feast, and and when it was all over, it was time to head back home. And so they started heading back home, Uh, Mary and Joseph did, and and a lot of other people were heading back home. There was a lot of other family that uh, traveled uh, together. They did kind of caravanning scenario there, and uh, they uh, were heading back home. Well, they didn't realize that Jesus wasn't in the company. They figured he was probably hanging out with One of the other family members, uh, just kind of maybe behind or in front, they didn't know where he was. They just assumed he was there. In verse 44, it says, But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintance. Well, verse 45, it says, When they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And so here the Bible says they, they basically lost Jesus. Uh, that's not a good thing to do, okay? Uh, losing, losing keys, that's one thing. Losing your glasses, losing your wallet, that's, th- those aren't fun things. But, but losing Jesus, that's not something you want to be known for. But that's what uh, Mary and Joseph did. They lost Jesus. Um, I thought back to our parenting days and uh, when our children were much smaller and remembered some stories about our children getting lost. Uh, one night we lost uh, Seth while we were at church one Saturday night after getting back from a youth activity. Uh, my wife uh, told me, okay, I'm going to leave Seth in your office and you watch him and I'm going to go do something. And I said, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, she came back to my office and then and she's like uh, looking around, do you know where Seth is? And I went, um, what? <laughs> Seth wasn't in the room. He wasn't in the office and come to find out he wasn't even in the building. And it was nighttime, and, and our church was by a very busy street, and Seth was probably one and a half, two years old, probably two years old at this time. And uh, he had, uh, well, we eventually found him. As you know, he, we did find him. Uh, but uh, where he was, he was outside chasing a bunny rabbit. And we said, what were you doing? And he said, I was chasing a bunny rabbit. It was, it was moving and going like this. I don't know if you can see what I'm doing on the screen, but... He was moving his mouth like a bunny rabbit moves his mouth. And he was saying, I had to go chase him and try to catch him. And uh, we were panicking. Uh, It was scary. I remember we lost uh, Luke at Disneyland uh, one night. We were there for the fireworks. And then after the fireworks, they had a little 
snow. It was uh, around Christmas time, and they did a little snow. And uh, basically what it was is they threw bubbles up in the air, and it came down, and it looked like snow. And so uh, Luke was really interested in that, and he wanted to find out where the snow was coming from. And uh, we didn't know where he went, and so he, we eventually found him, though. Uh, but it is a scary thought to know that you've lost a child. And then uh, just even a few months ago here, we uh, thought we lost Mark, uh, but uh, we ended up finding him. He was, he was at PetSmart where he should have been. Uh, but anyway, oh, he wasn't where he was supposed to be, but he did go to PetSmart. Um, anyway, we found him, uh, but praise the Lord, we have never lost our faith. As a good Baptist, we should never lose our faith. And so I have never lost my faith. Anyway, uh, losing Jesus Christ, that's what, these, that's what Mary and Joseph did. Uh, when, he, when it says here, uh, verse number 44, they supposing him to have been in the company went a day's journey. So Mary and Joseph went a day's journey thinking, ah, oh, Jesus is around here somewhere. I'm sure he'll show up sometime. They went a day's journey. Well, I looked up what a day's journey is. You know what a day's journey is? That's at least 20 miles, between 20 and 25 miles. So they were walking 20, 25 miles. They get to the point where they realize that Jesus isn't there. And then they have to go all the way back and walk back 20, 25 miles back to Jerusalem uh, do you think Mary and Joseph were very happy campers at the moment? No, they were not. And you can kind of see it and, uh, and, and listen to it in verse 48, where it says, when they finally find him in the temple, uh, Mary says, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. She rebukes him as a good mother would rebuke a 12-year-old for not being in the company and making them have to travel 20 miles back. And then they're going to have to take that same 20 miles back to where they realized that they were without Jesus. So it was, uh, they were probably very frustrated. I know I would have been. But in this story, in this uh, narrative here, we, we see that Jesus here corrects them in, to some degree. And uh, what he, when he does that, he's telling us who he really is. He says, uh, well, listen to what Mary says in verse 48 at the end of it. She says, behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. She said, your father and I, we've been looking all over for you, and uh, we were, we're not happy about this. Verse 49, he corrects her by saying this, I must be about my father's business. I am doing what my father wants me to do, but I want to remind you that my father's not Joseph. My father is God. You remember the virgin birth? Do you remember how I was born? Do you remember all that, Mary? Do you remember that Joseph isn't my real dad? Yes, he's my stepdad, and I'm going to be subject unto him. In, the, in the, uh, verse 51, he was subject unto them, but he wanted to let them know that he wasn't just their son. He was, most of all, God's son. And so in this first instance of him saying, I must, we learn about his person. He teaches us who he is. He was reminding Mary and Joseph that Joseph wasn't his real father, but that his real father was in fact God, God the Heavenly Father. He was teaching them and he was teaching us that he was and always will be the Son of God. The deity of Jesus Christ is an important doctrine to understand. And right from the very get-go, Jesus mentions it. 
The very first words out of his mouth, he alludes to the fact that he is not just a man, but he is also God. 100% man, 100% God. Well, this isn't the only place in Scripture where we find the doctrine of the deity of Jesus Christ mentioned. It's mentioned in the book of John, John chapter 1 and verse 1. It starts with this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14 it says, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So God took on flesh. God robed himself in humanity in the form of Jesus Christ, in the person of Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 16, Paul says this, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. You see, Jesus Christ was God manifested in the flesh, in a physical form, so that we could see him. Colossians 2 and verse number 9, Paul says, For in him, Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. John 10 and verse number 30, Jesus' own words, he said, I and my Father are one. Well, when he said that, everybody around him knew exactly what that meant. He was saying that he himself was God. And that didn't uh, please the crowd. In fact, they got more angry with him and desired to kill him and to stone him. Philippians 2 and verse number 5, the very famous kenosis passage, says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. You see, Jesus Christ is 100% man and 100% God. And in the very first words out of his mouth, he's explaining that, hey, I am about my father's business and I must be about my father's business. You see, Jesus wanted to make it clear that he wasn't Joseph's son, but that he was God's son. I want to stop and do a little time out here and say, look, when he was saying my father, he was insinuating the relationship he had with, with God the Father. He said, I am his son. He always has been and always will be. But what about you? Are you a child of God as well? John said in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Yes, scripturally, we have an earthly father, and we have another father. Uh, for instance, my father's name, my earthly father's name is Gary. And he and I share a love for hockey, share a love for receding hairlines, and uh, share a love for a lot of other things. He's my dad. He's my earthly father. All of you have an earthly father as well. But you also have another father. All of us do. And I'll say this. It is either God, the heavenly father, or it's the devil. Because the words of Jesus said this in John chapter 8 and verse 44. Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. You say, well, I've always been a Christian. Well, no, 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 no. Has there been a time in your life where you were born into God's family? Because just like there was a birth date, my birth date was September 22nd, 1976. I know, I'm old. But listen, that was the day I was born into my earthly family. But I also have another birthday, a spiritual birthday, and that's when I was born into God's family, and that was December 25th, 1988. 
That's when I was born into God's family and God became my father and I stopped being the child of the devil. And I became a child of God. Has there been a day when you were born into God's family? Are you a child of God? Are you a son of God as well? Being born into God's family, Jesus said that we must be born again if we are going to be in God's family. Has there been a time in your life when you have been born again? If not, can I recommend on the last beautiful Sunday of March 2020 to make the greatest decision of your life and to believe on Jesus Christ alone for your salvation so that you can be born again and you can have God as your Heavenly Father and have your sins forgiven, have a place in heaven for all of eternity. So in his first words that came out of his mouth, at least that have been recorded, we learn about his person, but we also learn about his priorities. We also learn about Jesus' priorities. Uh, when you stop and analyze the amount of scripture that is dedicated to the birth of Jesus Christ, you'll see that there's a lot. There's a lot in the Old Testament that deals with the prophecy of where he's to be born, of how he is to be born through a virgin. Uh, we, we see a lot of prophecy, and then we we see a lot of detail about the, uh, the narrative of his actual birth. We, uh, Luke chapter 2, in the beginning of that, we, we read the, the record of how he was born. And we, we, we see in Matthew chapter 1 as well, in chapter 2, uh, the, the events surrounding the birth of Christ. And we see the reaction of some of the people in that, uh, in that narrative. Okay, So there is some significant amount of scripture that's dedicated to that portion of Jesus's life and then the vast majority of the gospels of Matthew Mark Luke and John all deal with the last three and a half years of Jesus's life I mean they're the record of his uh, his teaching and his miracles and the things that he did from age 30 to age 33 and a half when he died on the cross and ascended up into heaven after the resurrection okay so uh, a lot of uh, there, there's a significant portion of Scripture de dealing with his birth. And then there's a lot of Scripture that deals with his life as far as the last three years of his life, three and a half years of his life. But what about his boyhood? What about from when he was born until he was 12? What about from the age 12 to age 30 when he started his ministry? What about that? There, there's not much given to it. But there is some detail that is shared, and it's shared here in Luke chapter 2 and verses 40 through 52. And especially if you're here this, if you're watching this morning or listening this morning, and you're between the ages of 0 and 30, uh, certainly you can relate to these and should take special notice. Because these are the things that if you're wise, you'll want to focus in on as well for your life at this time and stage of your life. Well, what was mentioned about his boyhood from the time he was born till the time he was 12? Verse number 40 uh, says this, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And so that's what basically his boyhood was. And then from verse 41 down through verse number 51, we see his life as a 12-year-old what Jesus was like as a 12-year-old young man. And then in verse 52, we see what he focused on during his teen years and his 20s. 
says that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now, it's interesting that as a 12-year-old young man, Jesus had the priority in his life at that point, at that stage, as a 12-year-old young man, of doing his father's business. Now, you think about what's on the mind of most 12-year-olds. Uh, what are they interested in? Is it doing the will of God? Not usually, unfortunately. Uh, it's not even close to being on their radar for most cases. But for Jesus, as a 12-year-old boy, it was his priority. He said this, as a 12-year-old young man, he said, I must be about my father's business. It's like, it's a priority for me. I've got to be doing this. And he was only 12. Can I talk to the uh, young people this morning? There's a few in the room here, and I'm sure there's a few watching uh, this morning. Can I encourage you kids, you teens... That now is the time to start developing a relationship with God and making the Father's business a priority to you? Look, if Jesus as a 12-year-old young man would say, hey, I must be about my Father's business, why can't we, why can't you who were 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 and on have that same priority? We're told a few times in the Word of God that a young person is to seek the Lord and to care about the Lord's will in their youth. Psalm 63 and verse number one, David, the author here, said, O God, thou art my God. And then he said, Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no, where no water is. He said, Early will I seek thee. Does this mean he rose up early in the morning? I imagine it does. I imagine he meant early in my day, I'm going to put the Lord first and make him a priority in my life. But I think also it means early, not only in my day, but also in my life. I'm not going to take my youth and spend it on me and just sow my wild oats while I'm young. And then when I'm older, when I'm kind of settled down, then I'm going to get serious about my relationship with God. No, I'm going to do that right now. And that's what Jesus, as a 12-year-old boy, said, look, I must be about my father's business. I realize I'm young, but I must be about it now. I want to encourage you young people to get serious about your relationship with God right now. But time is ticking and before long, you'll be older and you'll have some regrets if you don't start now developing a relationship with God. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse number 1, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said this, Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. He said, don't wait until you're old. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Now is the time to start developing a relationship with God. Now is the time to have a daily time in God's word. Now is the time to have a daily prayer time. Now is the time to start making the Father's business your priority. Psalm 71 and verse 17. Uh, the psalmist said, O God, thou hast taught me from my youth. And hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. See, the psalmist here said, look, I've learned these truths when I was young. I hope that you're learning, young people. I hope that you're growing and having the priority right as a young person. Several young people in the Bible come to mind who made the Lord a priority in their life. I think of the man Joseph, and we'll talk about him a little bit uh, next Sunday night, starting next Sunday night. But Joseph was a man who was young, 
and yet made the Lord a priority in his life as a young man. Daniel, uh, remember Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat. And remember it was Daniel who was in the lion's den. Well, Daniel was a young man when all of this started. You see, he had the Lord as a priority in his life as a young man. Samuel was a young man and had a heart to serve and a heart to be a blessing and to do the will of the Lord. Timothy was a young man. As Paul writes to young Pastor Timothy, he was a young man. And that's why Paul said, look, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example. As a young man, Timothy had uh, known the Holy Scriptures. You remember that? Uh, As a young man, Timothy made the Lord a priority. So young people, now is the time. Don't wait until you graduate high school. Don't wait until you graduate college and start your career, start a family, and then I'll start developing my relationship. No, the habit starts now. Get started today. Well, there might be someone thinking, listening this morning who isn't a teenager anymore. Maybe you're a little later on in life. And he says, you know what? It's too late for me to start. I I like what you're saying, Pastor, but truth is I wish I would have heard that 25 years ago, 40 years ago. It's too late for me. Well, can I encourage you with a a Chinese proverb that I recently read? I'm not one for quoting Chinese proverbs very often, but this one applies here, and I think there's a good thought here. And the, the proverb says this, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. Look, you can't go back 20 years ago and say, I'm going to start making the Lord a priority. It's, it's, you can't do that. But you can start today. And friend, it's not too late for you. It's not too late for me to make the Lord a priority. And no matter how old we are, we need to make the Lord a priority. And, and Jesus, as a 12-year-old man, said, I must be about my father's business. And so uh, this, is a, this first recorded words of Jesus uh, teaches us about his priority. And it also teaches us thirdly about his purpose. Uh, we learn about his purpose. Verse 49, he says to Mary and Joseph, How is it that you sought me? Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? I must be about my father's business. The father's business was what Jesus was, uh, that's what his purpose was in this life. You see, he came because he loved you, yes, but also because he was being obedient to the will of his father. Philippians 2 and verse number 8 says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So his purpose was to do the will of God. His purpose was to do the will of his Father. He said it a few more times in his life. John 4 and verse 34, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. In John chapter 5 and verse 30, Jesus said, I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. Okay, that leads to this question. What exactly was the will of the Father? What exactly was, uh, what exactly did the Father want Jesus to be doing? John chapter 6 answers the question in verse 38. He said, For I came down from heaven, Jesus says, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. 
And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. In verse 47 of that same passage, Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. So in essence, the will of the Father for Jesus was to come to this earth, to live a perfect and sinless life, than to die a cruel death on the cross of Calvary, where in that moment he became my sin and yours and took the wrath of God that was meant for you and I, all so that one day we could believe on him for our salvation. All so that one day I can, as a 12-year-old young man, on Christmas night in 1988, bow my head and, and call upon Jesus and believe on him for my salvation. All so that I could do that. And all so that you could as well. That was the will of the Father that sent him. Okay, brother and sister, what is the purpose of your life? Oh, I know, to go to work, to make a lot of money, to spend that money, to go to sleep, wake up, and do it all again. That's the purpose of our life, isn't it? No. Why are we here? Well, may I say this, if being all about the Father's business was good enough for Jesus Christ, friend, it's good enough for you and I. You and I need to have that same purpose to adopt the same mantra in our lives to say, like Jesus did, I must be about my Father's business. When it comes to the will of God for our lives, there are certain things that are God's will for each and every one of us. What are they? Well, first of all, God's will is that all of us would be saved. God's will is that you and I would come to the knowledge of the truth and to come to Jesus and be saved. 1 Timothy 2 and verse number 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Friend, if you're wondering if it's God's will for you to be saved, the answer is yes. God wants you to be saved. God desires you to be saved. He did everything necessary for you to be saved. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't want you to perish. God doesn't want you to go to hell. Hell is not for you. It wasn't designed for you. It was designed for the devil and his angels. It wasn't designed for you. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God's will is that you would come to Christ and be saved. If you haven't been saved, God's will for you today is to come to Christ. Say, God, what does God want from me? Well, God, what do you want in my life? God wants you to be saved. God also wants us to live a pure and holy life. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 3, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. Well, I realize we live in a pretty wicked culture where entertainment, uh, really, there's, there's no limit to what they show now on, on all kinds of different uh, venues. You and I, as God's people, need to understand that the will of God for us is to live a pure and a holy life, that we should abstain from fornication, that we should abstain from things that are wicked. God wants us to live a pure and holy life. That is the will of God. It's also the will of God for each of us to give thanks. I spoke about this last Sunday night as we looked at uh, praising in your prison. 
1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18, this was one of part of our text for that message. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Uh, so if you're not giving thanks, you're not doing the will of God. And Jesus said, I must be about my Father's business. For those Christians who say, I must be about my Father's business, part of it is being thankful and giving thanks. Romans 12 and verse 1 and 2 tell us another aspect of God's will, and that is to be a living sacrifice separate from the world. He says in, in that passage, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What else? Uh, we're going to spend a lot of time going through all of these, but I'll end with this one, and this kind of encapsulates all of these here, and that is to love God with our whole being and to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's part of the will of God. That's what God wants us to be doing. Now, and there is a specific, or God, God has a specific will for each and every one of us. And uh, He does have a special plan for you and for me, it's unique and special just for you. Well, what is that? I can't tell you. Only God can, and God's going to tell you in His way and His timing. But for now, you need to be focused on doing what God wants us to do that are clearly defined in His Word. That's what you need to be focused on, and then the Lord will, you'll look back and say, oh, that's what it was. That's what God wanted me to do. But look at if you're not willing to live a pure life, if you're not willing to be thankful, if you're not willing to be a living sacrifice and live separate from the world, if you're not willing to love God with all of your being and love your neighbors yourself, then, then don't ask God to show you what he wants from your life and what you're going to be doing 20 years from now. Just focus on what God wants you to be doing today. And God wants us to be saved today. God wants us to be living a pure and holy life and to give thanks and to be a living sacrifice and to love God and our neighbor. And that's what God wants us to be doing today. If we focus on that, then it'll automatically happen that God will show us what he wants us to do. Psalm 40 in verse number 7. The psalmist said, Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. When it comes to the will of God for our lives, this needs to be our attitude. I delight to do thy will, O oh my God. I'm willing to do it. I want to do it. It's not something that you're going to have to twist my arm and say, okay, I'll sacrifice for you, Lord. No, no. I want to volunteer. This is something I want to do. The will of God is something that we should anticipate, something that we should desire, something that should be a delight to us, not a drudgery. Not a, oh great, now I have to live a boring life. God wants us to have a desire to, and definitely we see that in the life of Christ. Here he said, I must be about my father's business. This is something that I have to do, I want to do, I enjoy doing. George Truitt, a pastor who died last century, said, To know the will of God is the greatest knowledge, but to do the will of God is the greatest achievement. You and I know a lot of what the will of God is for our lives based on what the Word of God says. Well, 
knowing it is wonderful knowledge. It's the greatest knowledge, but doing it is the greatest achievement. So I want to encourage you to do the will of God. I must be about my Father's business. All right, Jesus' first recorded words teaches us a lot. It teaches us who he was and who he is. It teaches us that he is the Son of God. And again, I ask, are you a child of God? If not, please place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can make you a child of God. He's the only one that can forgive your sins. Jesus came to this earth to make it possible for you to be born into God's family. That's why he came. That was his father's business. So it teaches us about his person. It also teaches us about his priorities. The fact that he must be about the father's business at such a young age tells us that it was a priority to him and it should be a priority to us as well. And these first recorded words also teach us about his purpose. And it teaches us about what our purpose should be as well. Um, the first must in the must of the master is a big one. May we also go from this place saying that we also must be about my father's business. That it's not just Jesus that needs to be about doing the will of God. I want to do that too. I want to and I must be about my father's business. We can learn a lot from Jesus' first recorded words. I hope you've learned something today and that you'll apply these truths to your life. And if, again, if you're not a Christian, you'll make the greatest decision of your life by placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Very simple. And then for those of us who are saved, let's make this a priority in our life. And for those of you who are young, now is the time. Stop wasting time doing things that don't matter for eternity. You and I need to be about the Father's business. And then to do the will of God. And we've mentioned what the will of God is. I won't go through it again, but let's have a word of prayer. And uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll let you go.